This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I'm reading from my collection of short stories, There Is a Season. This story is called The Seals. In all that came afterwards and ever after, she remembered the seal, lying between the bulls and her pup, keeping it safe. The light poured like honey from the sun, filling the troughs of seawater between the banks of sand and mud. The sky was transparent in its turquoise clarity, so high and pure it offered glimpses, maybe, of ethereal worlds. The wind sliced from the North Sea, and everywhere the rolling pups suckling, shuffling, flapping, calling with strange mews and shrieks, gazing at their human cousins with deep eyes, holding their knowledge of fluid freedom, of land-bound clumsiness. Two immense stocky bulls gnashing and snarling at each other for the seal who lay crescent-poised on the bank, aware of her pup, and sending it shuffling across the pool of golden light to safety while she lay between it and the fighting males. He took the buggy carelessly, pushing it through the crowd along the muddy path, swinging it in to see the seals that lay so close to the fence, then pulling it away. Sam began to cry, the cold clutching his feet and fingers, and the pain reaching him. His tears and the slime of his nose chilled his face to rawness. He reached for the seals, those rounded furred creatures that gazed at him with strange and old understanding and felt himself swung away, torn away. He sobbed, the sound of his distress causing heads to turn. A cold little boy, poor little fellow, people said. She watched him slam the buggy down as he moved on, and the tears were silenced in the shock of pain. Sam's face became fixed, Eyes like bullet holes of terror, mouth opened in the silent oval scream of protest, hands half-raised in pleading. But if your eyes were for the man, as her mother's were, saturated with the look and touch of him, the careless lift of eyebrow, the slow lick of the lower lip, the neat buttocks, and the lingering rub of thumb against first finger, that then transferred to smooth her arm, her back, her neck, as they walked together. If you saw him, watched him, as the girl was doing, carefully, painfully questioning, you would see only the charm of him, a magnetism that seemed to hold and daze the woman he walked beside. And as she walked beside him, held in that circle of charm, she did not see the anguished face of the child in the buggy or the puzzled, anxious, older girl who trailed behind. They came back to the car park and the silver car with its wide doors that clunked shut on the children in the back. 
and the buggy was snapped shut and stowed in the boot. Cup of tea, he asked. Over there, time for a bite, too. Their mother went with him to the trailer, and the children watched them join the queue for hot dogs and crisps, cups of tea and bacon sandwiches, steam and warmth at the counter, a gnawing cold here in the car. The windows inside the car began to mist as the children stared. Here you are, kids, he said, passing back to them boxes of Ribena and packets of crisps. Thank you, Mike, said their mother, sipping the hot tea alongside him in the front. That's really nice of you. We've had a lovely afternoon, haven't we? She slewed round to see the children. She could not read their silence. I know, she said, you're cold and tired. We'll set off in a minute, and then when we're home, we'll have something to eat. She paused, self-conscious. Mike's staying for the evening. We'll maybe send out for a pizza. My treat, he said. That evening they sat around the television. The girl, her brother, the man and woman, and the warm segments of pizza smeared their chins red and trails of cheese hung from mouths to fingers. So, forgetting the chill of the afternoon and the strange terror that it had brought, they ate and laughed together and watched the programme of animals and children caught by the camera fixed and framed in moments of absurdity beyond their comprehension. Off to bed now, their mother said. Say good night and thank you to Mike. I'll be up in a minute to say good night. They paused at the door, and the girl took her brother's hand. In all the days of his life before, he'd never gone to bed like this, sent upstairs to settle himself. They stood uncertainly. Then their mother, returning it seemed from some other place, came out to them and switched the light on in the hall so that the stairs were no longer a flight of darkness but were lit and familiar, safe again. She touched their shoulders and their stillness. The sense of bone beneath her fingers shocked her as though the roundness of their bodies had shrunk away from her. Why, what's the matter, she began. Come on, Nicky, the voice called. Just a minute, Mike, she answered. I'll just settle them and be back. There's a bottle of wine in the fridge. Quickly she took them through the rituals of teeth and face washing, toilet and pyjamas, and tucked them into the beds in the bedroom that they shared. Now, she said. And there was, though she could not think why, a sense of hurry, even anxiety as she tucked them in and kissed each of them good night. Sleep tight, both of you. But the girl clung to her. Jane, what's the matter? Mum, please, please don't. But what, she couldn't say. Her mother stroked her head and smiled before she turned off the light and went away downstairs. For a little while, Jane and her brother talked in the murmuring half-language that they shared in those years. Its usual punctuation of giggles and wriggling was missing and they could not say what it was that had touched them both that afternoon of cold and fear, nor what had been the shadow that slunk behind everything, even the food and the programme that had made them all laugh together. Sam fell asleep quite soon, but Jane lay awake and watched the dark, and was glad of the streetlight glimpse through the curtain. Don't, she said it again to herself, but what it was she did not know. She slept. 
Much later that night she woke. Downstairs there was talking and laughing, higher and louder than she could understand, as if, as if, she struggled to say to herself, as if it's not true, were the words she found, but they were no help to her. She slipped out of bed and went to the window, and the front door opened and he was leaving. Her mother went with him to the front gate, and through a tiny gap in the curtains she watched them kissing, and their hunger frightened her. The car door clamped shut, and he drove away. She climbed back into bed. For a little while she heard her mother downstairs, the clink of glasses and plates in the kitchen, the small, familiar tidying noises in the front room. Then her mother put the chain on the front door and came upstairs. She opened the children's room very quietly and came in to listen to their breathing. Jane lay still, her eyes shut, breathing softly, trying to subdue the dreadful sense that she had done something forbidden, something terribly wrong. She heard her mother go down the landing to the bathroom, then to her own bedroom, and the door shut. Since their father died, it had never been closed at night until now. The enormity of change and its suddenness left her shaken and afraid. In the morning, Monday morning, it seemed that nothing was changed at all. Her mother dropped Jane off at school and Sam at playgroup and went to work. In the evening, they found that everything at home was as usual, though what they had feared they could not say. The days of the week passed until on Thursday their mother said, Mike's coming for the day on Sunday. He says he'll take us all out for the day like last week. Is there any way you'd like to go? The children, side by side at the kitchen table, stayed silent, focusing hard on the drawing and reading that they'd brought home with them. Come on now, this is not like you. You've normally got lots of ideas, more than I can manage usually. Their mother's voice rose higher than she'd intended, almost with exasperation. No, nowhere, said Jane, or could we go and see Nan? It's nice that you want to see your Nan, but she lives too far away for us to manage in a day's outing. What about going to the big aquarium in Hull, the deep? That would be special. The children nodded. What could they say? At least it was a place that would take up the whole day. They would not have to be with this man at home for very long. These thoughts leapt between them without words. So their lives ran on, a pattern of safe and familiar things during the week, where everything was as it had become in the slow eighteen months since their father's accident. Small, warm, predictable things of breakfast and school, reading and writing and painting at the kitchen table before tea and then television and bedtime. Safe, familiar things that had steadily bridged the unfathomed ravine that lay between the past with their father and the present without him, and made it possible for all of them to survive. Sam could barely remember him, except as warm, strong hands that had lifted him up, and laughter that made the world light up with hiccuping delight. Jane saw him more clearly in memory, and the tone of his voice stayed with her. And the day when she said goodbye to him, as she always did, and then he never came home.
but at the weekend. They never knew now when their mother's friend Mike would be coming, whether Saturday or Sunday or both. The anxiety of it began to take hold of the children, affecting Sam at night so that he began to wet the bed again and was shamed. Jane struggled at school and her teachers slowly noticed that her bright and ready grasp of things, the imagination and flair of her stories, were all dulled. She worked hard, appeared to concentrate, but it was as though the light had become opaque and she struggled to see what once had been vivid and clear to her. Neither child could speak of it. When he came, there was a flare and generosity about him, a dazzle of electric energy and drive that swept them all into the car and out. Come on, kids, he would say. Where shall we go today? As if they had a choice. As if he loved them. And week by week, they watched their mother give herself to him so that they lost her and waited for her to return out of that distant country to be with them again. They did not speak to her of the small, ruthless things that he did when they were alone with him, the hard note in the voice, the contemptuous comments, his grip of the arm that was too harsh, too sudden, the slam of the car door that just avoided their fingers and spoke a finality stronger than words. They knew he wanted their mother all to himself. With the strange fey perceptiveness of children, they saw directly to the lust and possessiveness of the man, to his secret anger and envy of their relationship with her, his cruelty. They feared for her and for themselves, and there was no one to tell. The girl watched and sought always to come between him and her brother, whose smallness and dependency made him most vulnerable. She could only watch and wait as the weeks, then months, stretched by and promise herself to keep him safe. One Saturday he came early, earlier than they had agreed, and their mother had to go out for an appointment in the village and so left the children with him for an hour. They sat at the table, close to one another, focusing their eyes on the book that they were sharing, Sam reading to Jane. All the time, at the edge of their vision, they could see his mounting restlessness. He sat down, his right foot drumming on the floor, and then he got up, made himself a cup of coffee, and sat down again. Can't you get on with it? he said jarringly. Bloody useless thing to be doing. You're not much of a reader, are you? He's only three, said Jane, startling herself with his response. Leave him alone. The man their mother called Mike got up, suddenly jerked into rage that he did not try to conceal. He grabbed Jane's arm and the marks showed white as she pulled away from him. I've had enough, he said. Every time I come here, I have to give way to what the children want. How can we give the children a good time? His voice sneered. You'd better learn quickly, he said. You're not wanted. Your mother and me, we don't want you messing up our lives when we get together. And I'm moving in, and I'm tired of waiting, so get used to it. 
seen and not heard. That's the way it'll have to be, and least seen the better. Their silence goaded him. He slammed his fist down on the table so that Sam shuddered and began to cry. Jane, white, terrified, held his hand. And the door opened. It was cancelled, she said, smiling, bustling through the kitchen door. Then, seeing etched around the table the three figures, she was suddenly aware of the strange menace of the man, of the stricken horror of her children. Why, what is it? she began. What? What's going on? She turned from one to the other. What did you do? Then, again, what did he do? The girl looked at her mother and began to speak, slowly, slowly. Every word mattered, she believed. She must tell the truth, however terrifying, and if she strayed from its path, she saw in vivid images that he would trample her, erode her words like sand, obscure her with his shadow. But for her mother, there was suddenly no such uncertainty. What shocked her as she listened to the clear, expressionless voice of her daughter was not what she heard, but what she had always known, had always denied. The appointment was cancelled, she said, cold, clear as a blade. Thank God I came in when I did. She paused, and the room seemed to tilt for a moment as she stood at the door and held each of them in her gaze. I've been blind because I didn't want to see. She moved towards the table, reaching out to the children. How dare you treat my children like that? Don't lie to me any more. Go, now. I never want to see you again. It seemed to Jane that their mother grew in strength and even stature as she came between her children and the man. And he, mottled and gasping, flicking his tongue over his lips, turned in one final gesture of dominance and hit her. As she staggered and the children cried out, he left, slamming the front door, then impotently revving his engine as he spun and reversed and spun again to drive down the road. They listened, utterly still, until the last sound fled away. Quietness, safety, love, forgiveness, flooding back into the house, pouring back like light into the room. You have been listening to The Seals from the book There is a Season read by the author Janet Killeen and produced by Duncan P.B. For more stories Please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.